0: Hey folks, welcome to episode 128 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we're going to do a roundup of some news that I've seen about a threat report released from Trend Micro around threats to Linux, which is uh, yeah pretty interesting, as well as the recent uh, release of Ubuntu 2004.3, uh, the latest point release in the long-term support release there. Plus, we've got the usual roundup of security fixes to cover from the last week. So, we'll dive straight into those. There were nine unique CVEs addressed by the team this week, and the first up was in uh, INET Utils Telnet D. So, if anyone is still running Telnet D, I guess uh, I would recommend that you don't. You know, you should be using uh, SSH or something similar, which actually implements uh, encryption so that you're not sending, you know, your passwords and things in the clear. But if you are still running it, uh, there was a a buffer overflow that was found in Telnet-D. Actually, that was found in the uh, NetKit uh, implementation of Telnet-D originally, and it was assigned back in 2020, the CVE. But then it was found that the GNU iNet Utils version had uh, basically the same function, the same code in there that was also vulnerable to it. Uh, And given that in either case, actually, depending on either one that you're running, telnetd runs as root so anyone that could get access to uh, your telnet server you could uh, get that without obviously authenticating or anything like that you could get root uh, execution on there and actually there's a really good blog post about this from uh, the original researcher that goes into a lot of detail about kind of how it works and how the code floor is there and uh, that's actually against Fedora but wouldn't be too hard probably to, uh, you know, port that to Ubuntu or similar. So anyway, yeah, uh, if you are running Telnet D, uh, you're a little safer now, but uh, yeah, you were never really that safe anyway, because it's Telnet. But uh, let's move on from that. Uh, we had an update as well for the Linux kernel. Six CVEs were fixed here for uh, the kernel for uh, our 20.04 long-term support release. I talked about all of these back in last week's episode, actually, when talking about it for other kernels and the like, but yeah, there were a couple use after freeze in the Bluetooth HCI subsystem, a null pointer dereference in the NFC subsystem, a possible uh, guest to host uh, vulnerability for Zen para-virtualization. So basically the guest could trigger a use after free in your host. So if you had uh, untrusted guests running under Zen, that could have been triggered as well as a couple other Bluetooth vulnerabilities. Both of those were information leaks uh, that could be triggered by a local attacker within a radio range, basically snooping on your Bluetooth connection potentially. And finally, an update for OpenSSL. So two CVEs were fixed in here, uh, this is for our for long-term support, 24 long-term support and the 21.04 the Hirsute Hippo releases. Uh, one of these was high priority uh, and it was within, this vulnerability was within uh, the SM2 algorithm implementation within OpenSSL. Uh, this is actually originally a Chinese uh, standard uh, cipher uh, but was, has now been standardized for ISO and it's an elliptic curve algorithm that's used for both signature and uh, or digital signatures and encryption. And so basically the usual API flow with uh, using OpenSSL to decrypt something is you call the EVP p-key decrypt function and you do it twice. The first time you call it and it gives you back what would be the required buffer size that you would need to hold the decrypted plaintext, because uh, yeah, it doesn't know that exactly before you call it. And so then you go and allocate a buffer of that size and you call the function a second time and it will actually do the decryption this time and give you back the plain text as a result. Uh, As you can probably infer, the bug here was that the calculated length that it first would uh, calculate was not big enough. So then it would go and uh, overflow that buffer that you'd allocated nicely for of the size that it told you to uh, and you could actually overflow up to 62 bytes over the end of it using uh, attacker-controlled data in this case. And so you could imagine uh, that could then result in uh, all kinds of fun. Uh, it's up to the application, though, obviously how it allocates that buffer. It could be sitting uh, on the stack or they could have allocated it from the heap. So it could either be a stack or a heap buffer overflow, depending on how the application would use this. Uh, but you could imagine then possible remote code execution as a result wouldn't be too unlikely. As well, there was uh, another vulnerability, which was a buffer over read within the handling of ASN1 encoded strings. And so within OpenSSL, it represents an ASN1 string as an array of bytes that is the string plus a length for that, Uh, unlike normal strings in C, which are an array of bytes with an extra character at the end, a zero byte, which is the null terminator. Uh, However various parts of uh, OpenSSL, various API apis that would handle asm1 strings would end up adding a null byte and and the you know a required length amount for that it's not like it was a buffer overflow internally but uh, so some things would assume then that the asm1 string would be null terminated in particular the various functions that would print asn one strings and so if you were calling one of those uh, then and you had manually constructed your asm1 string yourself uh, as you know an array of, Bytes plus the length, and then pass that to get uh, printed. It would then run over the end of your string because they would never find a null terminator there uh, and yeah, overread uh, past the end of the buffer. So, this was fixed to make sure that those printing functions actually respected the length value and didn't assume there was null terminated. Again, this is kind of application dependent as to whether this would be exploitable or is actually a real vulnerability, but that has been fixed for OpenSSL now uh, for those affected Ubuntu releases. And that is it for this week in Security Updates. Okay, so a couple things that I wanted to talk about uh, sort of in the latter half of this week's episode. As I said at the start, Ubuntu 2004.3, the latest point release in the 2004 long-term support release has been released, actually just got announced overnight. Uh, so, this, uh, well, when you install this, the desktop installer uses the hardware enablement stack by default. So, that includes things like an updated kernel version and the like that comes from uh, the 2104 uh, uh, release, the Hippo. However, if you are using the server installer, that uses the uh, general availability kernel, which I recall is about 5.4, I think, uh, for uh, 2004. So, depending on which installer you use, you will get a different kernel by default. However, Within the server installer, if you want to use the hardware enablement kernel, you can enable that uh, through the install process. That's uh, nice and easy. Uh, These uh, updated ISOs include all the latest security updates and things that I talk about every week so that you don't have to download all of those during the install or afterwards. Uh, also all the various Ubuntu flavors have had their ISOs updated as well and respun but also know obviously if you are already running 20.04 uh, long-term support and you have installed all the latest updates there's nothing you need to do to get all this you already have that but it is nice if you are installing new machines or the like you now have uh, an updated ISO that contains all the latest fixes uh, for you ready to go. Okay, uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about this week was a report out of Trend Micro on uh, the Linux threat landscape for the first half of 2021. I've got a link to it in the show notes. It's actually really detailed, a really good read. Um, But yeah, this report comes from Trend and it basically collects all the data that they have seen across what they call their smart smart protection network uh, or their data lake. So that uh, takes in all the various uh, kind of threat feeds that they see, um, all the various uh, incidences that they see through their own products. So if you're running a Trend Micro product on your own uh, servers or the like, and it detects uh, say, you know, some malware or the like, it will report that back to them. So it's collecting all of that. Plus they have their own honeypots and sensors around the place as well to try and detect things. And so it is a measure of real world malware prevalence and the various um, vulnerabilities that are being seen exploited in enterprises. But obviously it's only the ones that Trend Micro have visibility on. So if you aren't running Trend Micro and you get uh, popped by some malware, they're not going to know about it necessarily. But yeah, it is still a really good sort of sample set to look at. And so what they see is that Linux makes up uh, 61% of their Cloud One users. This is their uh, cloud native product for uh, protecting your cloud deployments and the like. Uh, and so the rest obviously is Windows. Uh, and of that, uh, Ubuntu makes up 16% of that. And we see things like Red Hat at 30% and AWS Linux at 18%. And Ubuntu comes in third with 16%, which is you know, still a reasonable amount of Linux installs out there. The top threats that they saw to these uh, aren't aren't too surprising, I guess, if you sort of listen to security news and the like. Uh, coin miners are at the top, so people are still mining, um, you know, crypto coins wherever they can. Uh, web shells after that, ransomware and trojans, and then other. Uh, And so for systems which contained these various sorts of things, so where they were actually able to see uh, this malware running, 51% of the machines overall that they see with malware running on them are CentOS, 31% are Cloud Linux, uh, only 10% are Ubuntu, 3% are Red Hat. Uh, They also have monitoring across their intrusion protection system and so hits that they see against that so people basically trying to uh, get into machines they see 36% going after Amazon Linux, 23% going after RHEL 7, 8% going after CentOS uh, and 7% going after RHEL 6 and Amazon Linux and then uh, we see things like Ubuntu uh, 18.04 and 20.04 and 16.04 coming in after that at uh, 7% And 4% respectively, so only a small number really of uh, machines that are running Ubuntu are getting hit, which is good to see. I feel like that means, uh, you know, it's a good showing for us. It shows that I've, well, at least to me, feels like we're doing quite a good job of keeping those machines uh, up to date. And so that people aren't being, uh, you know, easily exploited. It's interesting to see that Ubuntu 18.04, as I say, comes in at 7% of those uh, and Ubuntu 20.04 is only at 4%, say, but I think that's more likely because there are just going to be more 18.04 machines out there compared to things like 20.04 and now 16.04, which is uh, into extended security maintenance period. Uh, Then they started looking at what the top vulnerabilities were with known exploits. And so these are vulnerabilities that have a publicly available known exploit, you know, something usually on GitHub or the like, uh, they're not necessarily obviously your zero days or things with you know exploits on the uh, dark web or anything like that. So it's only the stuff I guess that has high visibility. But it was interesting to see that of the top 15 five of them were against Apache Struts. Uh, this includes the vulnerability that was used back in the Equifax breach in 2017. So there are clearly a lot of deployments of Struts that are still getting hit. Then we saw, uh, so after that, there was nothing else that had multiple vulnerabilities, but one each for Drupal, Oracle WebLogic, uh, the WordPress File Plugin Manager, vBulletin, Eclipse Jetty, Alibaba uh, Nacos, Atlassian Jira, uh, Nginx, and Liferay. So uh, interesting to see that a lot of these things aren't actually shipped in Ubuntu, but they're clearly what's being exploited. And so it's sort of interesting that if you are deploying these sorts of applications on top of Ubuntu or even Red Hat or the like, uh, you're going to want to make sure that you are um, both securing it well and keeping it up to date. Because if you you install these things sort of once, you you download a tarball or something like that, unpack it and set it up running, great, it's working, but you need to somehow keep that up to date. And so I guess that's uh, where we sort of see more of a shift nowadays to the container ecosystem, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, So, yeah, of these, um, of all the vulnerabilities that they were tracking or that were issued for 2020, so the CVEs, only 200 of those were observed with known public exploits. I think that there would be a lot more out there that do have exploits available for them. They're just not publicly known. Uh, But if they look at those, uh, it's roughly the same sort of stuff that we see and actually support in Ubuntu. So, yeah. they, this is essentially things that are uh, known and have publicly available exploits. These aren't the ones that necessarily were always being exploited. But again, that includes things like Apache Struts, uh, Netty, Drupal. But then we start seeing things like DNS Mask, uh, Nginx, uh, the Apache Web Server, uh, Bind, uh, OpenSSL and Tomcat. So a lot more things that are kind of traditional Ubuntu packages and say Red Hat packages and things that our teams are more responsible for securing. Uh, They then also looked at uh, what kind of attacks are happening. 76% of those are against web apps. But then if they looked at, say, the OWASP top 10, uh, only uh, 21% of all the attacks that they saw by volume would fit within the OWASP top 10 kind of categorization. That is things like uh, SQL injection, command injection, cross-site scripting, insecure deserialization, and XML uh, external entity attacks. But then as I say that was only 20% roughly of all the attacks they saw. The rest of them were uh, things like brute force attacks which were 40% so I guess that's things like people trying to do uh, password spraying and the like, uh, directory traversal attacks uh, and request smuggling which is I guess a newer thing that we've started to see with all the various uh, HTTP2 to HTTP1 gateways and the like. Uh, they then go on to talk a bit about how you can sort of secure your Linux installs, but they kind of talk a bit more high level here. They say they mention things like you know, using IP tables to set up a firewall or using technologies like SecComp or AppArmor or SE Linux to help uh, confine your applications. Uh, But then when they talk about practical guidance, they start talking about things like anti-malware or IPS and IDS systems. So, you know, things like the trend themselves sell, uh, plus application whitelisting, vulnerability patching and management and activity monitoring. And so obviously, you know, the Ubuntu security team, uh, we're here to help you with things like vulnerability patching and monitoring. Uh, The rest of it is a bit out of our wheelhouse. Uh, and again I mentioned earlier but they do talk a bit about containers as well Uh, so looking at the container ecosystem they then rank vulnerabilities in the 15 most popular official Docker images and the official Python image on Docker Hub came in on top with 482 vulnerabilities Uh, I'm not too sure how they analyze this because there are a lot of different versions of that official Python image that are you know say whether they're built on like Alpine Linux or similar So I don't know if they're trying to aggregate all of those in that number. But yeah, uh, we also see the official Node.js image at 470 vulnerabilities and the official WordPress image at 402. And so it's interesting to see that the first two of those are kind of language ecosystem images that you would then use to sort of drive your own code. You know, you would say install the uh, Python Docker image to then run, say, some Python script you've got or similar for Node.js. But the WordPress one is obviously kind of a uh, more application specific. And then we see other applications application specific images in there as well like Nginx and Postgres, uh, InfluxDB, the Apache web server, MySQL and so they're the ones that kind of start to make up the long tail as well. So to say it's not surprising really that the ones with the highest number of vulnerabilities are potentially the more general purpose images as I say like the python and node.js ones they're obviously going to have a lot more uh, code in them that's going to have you know more code you have the more chance you have of vulnerabilities in that code plus you have a larger attack surface as well whereas the more special purpose images like the application specific ones yeah interesting to see they don't have as many vulnerabilities but again it really shows that if you are using uh, these container images you need to kind of keep them both up to date on your own local uh, installs but also you need to make sure that you have good provenance for them that you trust them. So, yeah, uh, it was really interesting to, uh, I think, have a look at that. And kind of to me, it shows, I feel that uh, for the Ubuntu security team, we look like we're doing quite a good job. You know, we're not out there in any of the high numbers of, uh, you know, machines being exploited or machines with large amounts of malware or that running on them, uh, which is really cool. So, that uh, to me says we both do a good job of keeping uh, the distro up to date and secure, plus uh, having good hardening. hardening measures and good secure defaults and that kind of thing that make Ubuntu a pretty secure base uh, to be deploying on top of. But it then really does highlight that if you are deploying other things on top of Ubuntu, uh, that's then up to you to keep that stuff up to date. As I say, if you are installing a, you know, Oracle WebLogic or you've installed WordPress or you've got a vBulletin set up there or something like that, or you know, you've got a Jira install, all these things that aren't part of Ubuntu, uh, you're then having to keep that up to date yourself and keep that managed. And that's you know, that's more work. So I guess that's where we now see the shift towards, as I say earlier, containers and the like. So you're yeah, trying to keep those in containers is good. But again, if you're not keeping your containers up to date, you've still got vulnerabilities there that can be exploited. So it really is a lot, I think, about trying to keep things up to date uh, and make sure you've got yeah, all your latest updates installed. Okay, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can always email us at security@ubuntu.com. You can also find us hanging out in the Ubuntu security channel on the libera.chat IRC network. And we're also on Twitter at ubuntu underscore sec if you want to hit us up over there too. Okay, so yeah, thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I will speak to you all again next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got you back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.